Today on CityCast Boise, well, it's been a busy, windy week, but it's finally Friday, and I've got lead producer Frankie Barnhill and the Idaho Statesman's Ian Max Stevenson with me to work through the headlines. We're talking public transit woes, zoning code rewrite next steps, and wildfire predictions. Plus, why I'm begging you not to tube the floodwaters in the co-op parking lot. It's Friday, June 9th. I'm Emma Arnold, and this is what Boise is talking about. Hi, Ian. Hi, Frankie. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Yay, Friday. We made it. Yes. Yay, Friday. What a strange week, too. (laughs) Politically, uh, in the city, weather-wise, just a really full, uh, windy week so far. So, (laughs) Uh, Ian, let's start with you. You just had this great article in The Statesman that I really, really appreciated and loved about Boise's public transit woes. Could you just start by walking us through that? Absolutely. So, I wanted to do a story about public transit in the Treasure Valley because um, it's pretty different from how public transit operates in other cities. And I thought it it would be good to explore that. So if you've lived in Boise area for a while, you may have noticed that um, bus service here is not as good as it is in other cities. Um, There are a lot of routes that don't run at all on weekends. There are no routes that run on Sundays. Um, A lot of routes in the city also end by 6 or 7 p.m. at night. Uh, so it's difficult to get downtown or get somewhere else while you're um, out and about in the evening. And the reason for that basically is that Valley Regional Transit, which is the public transit agency, doesn't have any state funding. Whereas other comparable cities um, like Spokane, Madison, Wisconsin, um, Reno, Nevada, that have similar, relatively similar sized cities to us, they either receive direct funding from the state Department of Transportation, or they have the authority to raise their own taxes and therefore have their own revenue stream. But VRT, Valley Regional Transit, all they can do basically to get bus service is go to a city, a local city like Meridian, like Boise, and ask them uh, to give them money each year, which then they use to fund their transit. And so for some examples, basically, Valley Regional Transit has multiple times lower dollars per capita to spend on its residents, public transit for its residents than other cities do. And so that just makes it hard for bus service to be robust. Yeah, let's talk about that. How does Boise spending um, compare to other cities? Like I saw in the article uh, that like Madison, uh, Wisconsin, which is like a comparable city, has quite a bit more money. Yeah. So there's there have been some studies of basically per capita comparisons and Madison spends about $215 uh, per capita on public transit. Salt Lake City spends about $193 per capita, whereas here in Boise, Valley Regional Transit has $46. So multiple times less funding. Um, And then to give you sort of an even larger number, if you go to really big cities that have really large public transit systems, like in the Bay Area and San Francisco, the BART system, they have close to $1,000 per capita. So I think that just shows you public transit really is expensive and requires a lot of investment. And uh, if if you don't have the dollars to do it, then um, it makes a difference in the services that people get. And part of this is uh, these cities are able to uh, fund this with like a sales tax, like you said, right? Yes. So 
other than cities that get funding from the state, um, a lot of cities have what's called local option taxes, which is basically um, a municipality, for instance, or maybe a county decides, uh, hey, we, we have public transit, or it can even be broader than public transit. It can be some other infrastructure project. We have a bridge we want to build, whatever it may be, and we're going to need to raise this amount of money over this number of years. So it's usually has a capped time frame and it, and it increases. It's usually shown as a sales tax. So it'll be people who spend money in that municipality or in the county pay a little bit more in sales tax. And that money is then used to uh, build the infrastructure project. And um, so that's what they do in Salt Lake City. Um, I think in the upcoming year, they're expecting to raise something like $500 million from that, which is a huge amount of funding that they can use for their light rail system and their bus system. And in Idaho, we do have local option taxes, but they're limited to resort cities. So cities like Stanley, Idaho, or uh, Haley, Idaho, um, Sandpoint, that have pretty small populations and um, are considered you know, tourist or resort destinations. Those are the only cities that are allowed to raise local option taxes under the current law. So places like Boise don't qualify. So then what's the plan? Like, can Valley Regional Transit count on more funding in the future? Are they having to just go ahead and make cuts? What are they doing? Yes. Yeah, so um, they're, have, they're struggling this year because they have a budget shortfall of around a million dollars. And they're trying to meet their spending requirements by looking outside of government and looking towards private funders or trying to boost their advertising revenue to see if they can close the gap on that shortfall. But it's looking like, and they haven't announced a final plan yet, that's going to come in August, but it's looking like there are likely going to be some cuts in the short term to the um, Boise bus system. Some of the less used routes like along Hill Road, that is a route that comes through the North End, or a route that goes out uh, Warm Springs Avenue. Those routes are likely going to be cut, and they're going to try to focus on concentrating their resources on the bus routes where the most people travel and trying to increase um, the frequency the buses come on those areas just to try to sort of focus on their core ridership. But for some people who still ride those other routes, you know, they might not see service in the next year. Um, and that's just because in the medium term, they sort of isn't a solution yet for, for VRT to get more money. Which is a bummer because, like you said, it's already very limited service for people. My kid uh, rides the bus to BSU. He works and goes to school down there. And, yeah, it's pretty limited a lot of times. And it's sad to hear that it's already, you know, that they're talking cuts, more cuts to handle this. So it's funny because this all kind of ties into my next question for you, which was about Boise zoning code rewrite, uh, which you had another really great article recently on. But so where do things stand with the zoning code rewrite right now? I know they just met and you had this great article about that. Yes. So um, the zoning code rewrite, if, if uh, listeners recall, it's a major overhaul, the first time in close to six decades that the city has rewritten the rules for how development happens in Boise. So this is changing things like uh, lot sizes of houses or the number of units that can go in in a neighborhood, how dense it can be, where development, commercial versus residential versus industrial development can happen. And the Planning and Zoning Commission, which is a volunteer uh, committee that's part of the city, they're part of its decision-making processes, they met in April and they unanimously recommended um, that the city council uh, approve the zoning code rewrite. So they're, this is a volunteer body and they just make recommendations, but 
uh, unanimously, they, they recommended that the city council do that approval. So going forward next week, they're going to be multiple nights of hearings uh, before the city council. And that's really the final municipal body that's going to see this uh, zoning code rewrite. And they're going to take testimony from the public. And they're ultimately at the end of next week, they'll be deciding uh, whether whether to pass the changes or not. And if they do pass them, it'll mean some some big changes to the rules in Boise around development. I know they already had, um, you know, some public testimony uh, over the last, over like three nights. And I was wondering, what did you hear people saying? Yeah, um, there were over 130 people who who testified at the Planning and Zoning Commission, hours of testimony that they took. And I thought it was interesting. It was pretty, it was pretty mixed. Um, often at these kinds of development hearings, the people you hear testify are, you know, upset about what's happening and they, they, they're opposed to a certain project. And there were certainly a lot of people who were opposed to it. Concerns like that the changes would change the character of neighborhoods by, you know, allowing maybe a, a duplex or a triplex on a street where they're now just single family homes. Concerns that that's going to change a neighborhood or concerns that there's some reductions in the requirements for, for parking that are, that go along with a residential unit. People are concerned that by reducing the amount of parking that's required, there might not be enough parking. But there were a lot of people who were really in favor of the zoning code rewrite. Um, there were a number of people who talked about their experiences being homeless and how they haven't had, they've had trouble finding an affordable place to live. And part of the city's idea behind passing the zoning code rewrite is that it's the aim is to boost density in the city, bring more housing units to the city. And the idea is that that will hopefully bring down prices by just having more options for people, um, more apartment unions that they can move into, more houses um, and the like. So, yeah, it was, it was interesting to see the, the comments. And I think there'll likely be even more people who testify at city council because that's sort of a, a larger stage. So we have this testimony coming up. Uh, but what are the next steps for this? Yeah. So on Monday, the uh, planning and zoning or sorry, the planning department, the city's planning department, which is the city staff who work for the city planners, they're going to be working to present to uh, the city council members on the rewrite. They're going to be presenting sort of what it entails, what it includes, what the changes would mean. And I think one interesting thing to watch there is that while the Planning and Zoning Commission did recommend uh, approval, they also did sort of have some suggestions for city council to look at, for instance, uh, the zoning code rewrite includes includes some changes to adding an executive summary because the the rewrite document is over 600 pages. It's really complicated, and actually, it looks like the city already responded to that in that they now have posted an executive summary. So I think it'll be interesting to see if how they discuss some of the recommendations from the planning and zoning commission and whether there will be any other recommended changes. Um, so that's likely to happen on Monday. And also, they're going to be taking uh, testimony from the neighborhood associations on Monday. And then on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, they're going to be opening it up for uh, public testimony. So anyone um, who's interested, um, who has thoughts, can, can come and testify. And then uh, the expectation is at the end of that, they'll deliberate and um, talk about whether they, they want to approve it or not. This might be too, I mean, don't feel free to, if you don't have an answer to this, but because uh, it might be hard to predict, but uh, can we assume that city council will approve the code? Do you expect them to make like, any big changes after hearing testimony next week? Yeah, that's a, that's the big question. Um, I, I do think it's likely that 
some form of the code gets approved. Um, it seems like in, in general, the city council, while I do think there are a couple of members who might vote against it or might be opposed to certain portions of it, I think in general, it has the support of the city council. But what will be interesting to watch is whether they make any changes to it and what those changes are. And that I think we don't know yet. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Well, good good to know. Uh, keeping an eye on that. Um, let's move on to, I don't even really want to talk about this because it's been so rainy and green and it's not <laughs> fun to think about wildfires affecting us this summer. But I have to ask, Frankie, with it being so green and all this growth, are we in for a bad wildfire season? Yeah, uh, I have some bad news uh, to oh, no. break to you, oh, no. at least at least from predictions. Now, of course, predictions can change. It depends on the conditions. But um, I did speak with meteorologist Nick Nosler of the National Interagency Fire Center. And right now, the center is predicting above normal fire activity in southwest Idaho, so around Boise, in both July and August. Um, same prediction for northern Nevada, northeast Oregon, parts of north Idaho. And of course, so even if southwest Idaho doesn't end up having starts, those other places could, which of course could mean smoke that could come into the, the Boise Valley. So yeah, we've kind of had a little bit of a reprieve the last couple years as far as actual fires in our region that have been pretty, pretty bad. Um, we've We've, of course, seen fires in other parts of the country and the smoke has come into Boise. So we've we've seen smoke every year. That's just that's just the vibe. Right. That's what we get. Yeah. Every summer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, at least at this stage, yes, we are in uh, in for potential above normal fire activity. Well, and, you know, it's funny, it's been kind of wild to see the smoke in the Northeast right now with, yeah. you know, East Coasters experiencing tons of smoke. And like, we're really accustomed to that. But I have friends in New York right now who are posting pictures who are like, oh, my gosh, what do we do? Uh, and it's, you know, it's terrible to see that it's just kind of everywhere right now. But what can we expect for our smoke season in Boise? Does that mean it's going to be bad also? Well, it is interesting, of course, as you pointed out, the uh, and it's ca Canadian fires that are affecting uh, the Northeast. And we had uh, some Canadian fires that were affecting Boise just a few weeks ago, not nearly as bad as what those apocalyptic images from New York City and all, all uh, up and down the East Coast have seen this week. But yeah, I mean, the big thing, like I said, we have been able to kind of uh, escape wildfires that are directly in our southwest Idaho region lately. And we've also dug out of drought. But you mentioned with all that growth, uh, what comes with uh, getting that great, all this great rain and um, the awesome snowpack that we had is that there's a lot of fuels that are just kind of ready to, to rip um, later this summer if things do dry out, if the conditions like, uh, you know, prolonged dry uh, uh, conditions start in or, you know, a, a lightning strike that happens at the right time and wind or people being stupid and, and you know, not maintaining their and making sure their campfire is fully out or setting off fireworks. Uh, um, so, yeah, smoke could be coming and settling into the valley 
from other parts of the country. Uh, one one good thing, um, California probably won't be the place where we're getting smoke this year. Um, they're actually uh, predicted to have below normal fire activity. We've seen California smoke pretty often the last They've few years. They've certainly earned that. <laughs> they earned that. They earned that. But other parts of the country, including, again, our own region, um, is in that above normal uh, prediction for July and August. Ah, dang. Well, I know. you know, we're seeing all these pictures of people in New York doing uh, rooftop yoga and jogging and stuff. And right. obviously, we've been through enough of that to know, yeah. stay inside if it's really bad. But any other advice for protecting ourselves from smoke and wildfire danger? Yeah, well, hopefully people haven't thrown out those masks from COVID. Uh, hang on to them. Um, the higher quality, the better. It does help protect you from some of the particulates that we know are can be incredibly dangerous. And as you mentioned, people who live in the West that have lived in the West for a long time, you know, it's prolonged. It's every summer we're experiencing this to some level or another, um, unlike in other parts of the country, thankfully, that don't get to experience it every year. So having those masks, um, consider buying an air filter if you can afford it. They can be expensive. You can also make it DIY ones. I saw one on TikTok that looked pretty cool the other day. Um, and if you haven't made, do you have a go bag, Emma, or do you have what you think you would need to grab if you had to get out of <laughs> out of the path of a wildfire quickly. <laughs> um, you know, I am surprised to tell you that I don't. As prepared as I am in every other way, no, I don't have anything like that. I mean, I'm not super worried about wildfire over here, yeah. uh, but you know, maybe it is something you know West Boise should be thinking of for sure. I think definitely, if you're in the foothills, obviously, if you live in the wildland and are urban interface anywhere, uh, you should absolutely have a go bag. And if you know that you're going camping or something like that, that could be in a place where it, there might be a fire that comes through or that's a fire that's near that could switch paths quickly to really have a plan for that is smart. Um, also, I would suggest uh, maybe doing some fun things in June. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because Sounds like, yeah. we don't know what July and August could bring. So if you, you know, if you're able to get out and go camping now, uh, do it do it safely and put your fire out and all of that stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully the conditions won't come come to pass the way they could. But we know that this is a, obviously a common thing. It's literally an annual thing. Um, and it's naturally occurring on the landscape. But with climate change, and with people living uh, in places where fires come through, it's a very dangerous mix. It can be. Yeah. Well, people should also check out our upcoming uh, episode on Monday. We're going to be talking to a former wildland firefighter turned Boise State radio reporter. Uh, and he had an incredible, we were talking to him about the dangers wildland firefighters pose because it's easy for us down here to be like, oh, the smoke is so bad. But there yep. are literally thousands of our neighbors up there fighting it for us. So uh, people should definitely check that out. Very interesting conversation. Uh, let's talk about, I want to talk to you about that storm earlier this week. Holy cow. Ian, <laughs> I saw your tweets. Where were you uh, when it when it kicked off? Yeah, so I was hanging out at City Hall in Boise, which I do every every Tuesday <laughs> in the evening. It's where you party. Yes, it's a big party. And the city council, so if, if, if you've not been there, they have a large room where they hold uh, their public hearings and the city council members sit uh, behind a dais, which is basically like a long table. And they were holding a hearing. Actually, they were holding a public hearing about public transit. And the hail started, really strong hail started uh, coming down. And sort of right above where they sit, 
is a skylight that's sort of a raised skylight. It's almost like a, a cupola up. I don't know if it's glass or some other material. Uh, but in short, it's very loud when uh, even when just rain, hard rain comes down, you can hear it inside the room. And so with the hail, it was extremely loud and it sort of reverberates around the room. And they ended up putting the meeting on hold, stopping the meeting and putting on a hold, putting it on hold for 30 minutes because the council members just couldn't hear what was going on at the meeting. They couldn't hear uh, their staff <laughs> discussing business. So it was kind of an interesting, eventful evening. And then a few minutes after that, it was discovered that there was a leak. There was some water coming in one of the windows. And so there was flooding sort of by the carpet because uh, the outside planter was overflowing with water. So yeah, it was. I have not experienced that. Uh, it was a much more eventful city council meeting than, than as usual. Yeah, rowdy, but for not the usual reasons. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> well, uh, it's I was um, at the dog park, actually. I saw the storm coming in, but I thought it was going to be one of our usual Boise storms, which is just like, it just blows on through, usually. You know, you get a few minutes of rain, and then you're like, oh, well, thanks. Mm -hmm. But um, so I was at the dog parks with my dog, and I had just kind of started sprinkling some, and I thought... Uh, I think it's probably fine. And then it just dumped. I mean, the raindrops were like as big as your fist. And it was hu like huge rain. We were soaked. And I was like, well, we're here, whatever. You know, like it was kind of fun, like when you were a kid and you'd like stand in the rain and you'd play in the rain. And I was kind of like, and it was really warm. So we were standing out there and I was like, actually, this is really pleasant and, and romantic and nice. And then the hail started. <laughs> and we we're like, oh, crap. Because <laughs> that hail was huge. It was like three quarter inch hail yeah. and it was really coming down. So, yeah. And then it was funny because by the time we got home, um, over on West Boise, in West Boise, not a drop over here. But then you could just watch that storm roll. And I don't know if anybody saw those pictures from Mountain Home, like the wall of that storm mm -hmm. was really interesting. And then we had that beautiful double rainbow. And it was very funny because uh, we were outside watching the double rainbow and I was sort of trying to get everybody to go back inside because I was like, I saw on Twitter that the National Weather Service said that there's going to be more lightning strikes uh, <laughs> than than usual. And everybody was making fun of me and calling me a dork. Uh, and then our one of our, my friend Jocelyn, who's one of our contributors, texted and was like, oh my gosh, we were standing outside watching the storm and lightning hit the tree across the street. Oh, man. Right, like we saw it right there. And I mean, they did the same thing. They ran inside. So I made everybody go inside and they were all making fun of me. But then later... They said that there were a ton of lightning strikes that night. So I felt very mom vindicated for trying to get everyone to go inside because uh, it was it was wild. And we got so much rain. Frankie, did you see the pictures <laughs> from the co-op parking lot? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Honestly, the co-op parking lot just cracked me yes. up so much. And I definitely I lived really close to the co-op. And I remember, you know, we just don't get that kind of rain in Boise. But when it ha did happen, when I used to live there, you know, and then the drains would get all clogged and there would be like the hero who's out there once it's safe to unclog the the spot, like just somebody in the neighborhood who knows like, oh, I got to go make sure there's no leaves that are clogging the drains. But that was wild. There was also that one photo, you the, the rainbow with the light. Lightning, oh, the, yeah. Like, the, yeah. Both together, that was incredible. It was such a beautiful, romantic, lovely storm. I do want to say to our to people who didn't see that people were floating the uh, uh, parking lot of the co-op, Margaret Carmel, our friend from Boise Dev, she tweeted like, oh, anybody from the South was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I do want to tell people that is disgusting. Yes, it's cute. You looked cute in your bikinis out there in the parking lot. But that is how you get staff uh, for sure. <laughs> I was literally when I saw pictures of that, like, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Like that is sewage. That is sewer 
sewer sewer drain water mm-hmm. that's been sitting there for a long time getting backed up and you are gonna get stabbed. So um, if you are if you were one of the cute kids doing that in the co-op parking lot, I highly stress that you uh, keep an eye out for bumps and rashes. So there I go, momming Boise again. I can't help it. I cannot help <laughs> it. Well, Ian, Frankie, thank you both so much for being here. And uh, really, Ian, I'm so interested to hear what happens with the zoning code rewrite. So we will be talking to you soon. Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everybody. That's all for today here on CityCast Boise. The show is produced by Frankie Barnhill, Evelyn Avitia, AKL Mootman, and me, Emma Arnold. Blake Hunter writes our Hey Boise newsletter, and our music is by Up Is The Down Is The. If you enjoyed our show today, we'd love it if you filled out our listener survey. It takes about five minutes, and you can find it at citycast.fm slash survey. That's citycast.fm slash survey. We'll be back Monday with more stories from around the city. Bye. Cool. We'll just gossip. Don't worry about us. We'll hang tight.